Chesterton said that it's really important for us as we journey through life to really give thought what the purpose of our life is. And faith for him was the great beacon. For those who take time to seek out his books, there's a marvelous journey there, and it's a journey waiting to be taken. Who was G.K. Chesterton, and what does he have to say to us today? Welcome to First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and our guest is Kevin Belmonte, the author of a biography on the life of Chesterton. We'll begin talking with Kevin in just a moment. I'm glad you've joined us for today's program, one I've looked forward to sharing with you, but all of these interviews are archived online at firstpersoninterview.com, so you can listen anytime. You can also share the link with others and introduce them to our weekly visits. Just go to firstpersoninterview.com. And then for comments, use our Facebook page, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Well, like many, I've often enjoyed reading the works of G.K. Chesterton, an Englishman who lived from 1874 to 1936. It seems that his writings are more popular than ever, so that led me to contact Kevin Belmonte, who has written much about Chesterton. Kevin's literary biography is titled Defiant Joy, and he's also written the quotable Chesterton. One of my favorite quotes from Chesterton is is really his definition of the word grace. And he said this, Everyone on this earth should believe, amid whatever madness or moral failure, that his life and temperament have some object on the earth. Everyone on the earth should believe that he has something to give to the world which cannot otherwise be given. Everyone should, for the good of men and the saving of his own soul, believe that it is possible, even if we are the enemies of the human race, to be the friends of God. Kevin, who was this big man with a big mind, and and why don't we know more about him? Well, I think, you know, the passing of a hundred years since Chesterton was really uh, in his heyday when he walked the streets of London in his slouch hat and cape and sword stick. Uh, you know, it's a, a different time. It's the Edwardian era in England, and we're a hundred years and more, as I say, removed from that time. Our, our cultural memory sometimes allows deserving people like Chesterton to fade a bit from view. But I think one of the really helpful ways into him, we know C.S. Lewis so well, and his writings are very much in the public eye. Lewis owed a profound debt to Chesterton, Mm -hmm. and it was through his reading of Chesterton, he says that he was brought back to faith in Christianity. And I think that in itself, the idea that were it not for Chesterton's life and writings and, and the light of Christian faith that shone through them, Lewis might not have come back to faith. I think that's a very telling and compelling way in brief terms to express what Chesterton holds out for us today. Was Chesterton a philosopher or a theologian or an apologist or all of the above? Well, he was wonderfully self-deprecating. He loved to call himself a rollicking journalist. <laughs> and, and while that's good fun, you know, it's a great metaphor, uh, he was a person of, of profound intellect and insight, uh, prescience, really, because his his writings not only spoke with power to his own historical moment, but they proved prophetic for our own day and time. But yes, I mean, every kind of writing that he turned his hand to, he was successful. He wrote poems, he wrote plays, he wrote biographies, literary criticism, uh, you know, just a whole host of things, detective fiction, uh, Father Brown mysteries mm-hmm. that are in the public eye now with airing on television. Yeah. It seemed like... There was no getting to the end of Chesterton, as my friend Oz Guinness says, and that's a very thankful thing. You know, he wrote dozens of books, and so if you begin to 
to peel back the layers of history and begin to, to read Chesterton. There are so many fine anthologies and collections of his writings that allow us to do that. Once you begin that journey of discovery, something really special is waiting there. Well, what was the early influence on his life, and, and how did he develop the mind that he had and the wit that he had? Well, you can go back to his parents. They were a remarkable couple. Uh, his father read to him all the time before he could even read himself from writers like Shakespeare and something of the rhythm and the music of that marvelous prose from Shakespeare's time became a part of Chesterton's uh, sort of heritage from his folks. There was a wonderful appreciation from literature that came down through his father. His father was also a, a gifted amateur artist, but his mother was incredibly bright in her own right. Uh, people that talked to her just thought that she was one of the most clever and amusing people. So he got uh, his, uh, his wit, his wisdom, his appreciation for literature, his intellect uh, from his parents. And then, of course, he had the gift of good teachers. Uh, initially, as is the case with a lot of very bright children, some of his teachers really didn't grasp that this, uh, this rather tall boy, this sometimes awkward boy, uh, he seemed kind of slow at times in class, but it was, he was really because he was just so bright, processing so many things. And uh, when he got a hold of a teacher in his early years that really understood him, probably in his teens, if memory serves right, uh, the teacher pulled Chesterton's mother aside. And uh, he had grown very quickly. He was six foot tall by the time this uh, talking to Chesterton's mother took place. And his teacher said to his mom, he is six feet of genius, ma'am. <laughs> Cherish him. Oh, Cherish boy. him. Wow. What mother wouldn't want to hear that, huh? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> that is great. I love reading the quotations from Chesterton. You you've have a whole book of them, of course, and it probably scratches the surface. Um, all men are ordinary men. The extraordinary men are those who know it. Uh, that's the wit of G.K. Chesterton. You should not look a gift universe in the mouth. Um, I'm sure you have a few favorites. Oh, indeed I do. And uh, if I can take a few minutes, I'd be happy to share some of them with you. Yeah, please. Uh, one comes from his book, Heretics, which was published in 1905, and that was the prequel to his great book, Orthodoxy, uh -huh. which is a book people like Philip Yancey love and commend that book often today. Uh, but the quote from Heretics that I like so much concerns paradox and what the meaning of paradox is. Chesterton said this, he said, paradox simply means a certain defiant joy which belongs to belief. Hmm. Which leads to the title of your biography. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I wonder if you can find one of those titles that uh, just in a word or two seems to capture the reader's attention. And I thought, well, you know, I could try and come up with something myself. But then when I read Chesterton's marvelous definition of paradox, the notion of defiant joy which belongs to belief, I thought, well... That really captures it in a nutshell, so we'll go with that. Mm -hmm. You know, something that seems so appropriate to our day is his wit. Uh, it, it's just remarkable. And when we look back in history, we don't think of people being that funny, but they were. And he, he's a good example of it. And it stands up today, doesn't it? It does. You know, I think the people who really have that gift, there's a timelessness about the way it expresses itself. And, I mean, how can you not love a sentence from Chesterton like this? Poets have been mysteriously silent on the subject of cheese. <laughs> in 
Isn't that marvelous? <laughs> Boy, that came out of left field, and I think it's I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just wonder, you know, how is it uh, that people just have the ability in a sentence like that to catch you completely unawares <laughs> yeah. and just you know bowl you over? Yeah, as you just did. Um, you can imagine him sitting around the breakfast table pondering a piece of cheese, can't you? Well, you know, he, he probably did that more than once. Um, you got to share some more examples with us, Kevin. Well, when it comes to examples of Chesterton's humor, you could really spend all day, but here are a few favorites. Misers, he said, get up early in the morning. And burglars, I'm informed, get up the night before. <laughs> all right. Keep going, man. <laughs> right, and then he gave us a kindred thought. You know, he's really great at these one-liners. I, I think, uh, as I'm just uh, about to read the next one, that Chesterton would have loved uh, Twitter. He would have loved uh, sound bites. You oh, know, he... he was tweeting before there was a Twitter. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, here's another one. Uh, silver is sometimes more valuable than gold. Uh, that is, in large quantities. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a half a second delay before it really settles into my mind. What do you, what's going on here? Yeah, no. I, the funny thing about his wit is it seems to run, you know, run, run way ahead of you. And yeah. uh, as you say, there's a delay, and all of a sudden it, yeah. it gets you. Yeah. But there was far more to this man. I, I mean, you shared earlier about C.S. Lewis saying it was really Chesterton who, who had a big influence on his spiritual life. This was a deeply uh, Christian man, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the thing about Chesterton, that, that there were so many sides to his character and his writings. You're absolutely right. As, as much as he loved to laugh, and he did, as, as much as anyone who ever walked the earth, he just had a great gift, as we've been saying, for humor. And he was a person of profound insight, and uh, we look to his writings and the influence they had on C.S. Lewis, and it, it was really a lifelong sort of thing. And I'll just uh, touch on a couple of them, if I could. One of them stems from when Lewis was wounded as a soldier in World War I. When he was convalescing, he uh, picked up and began to read a collection of Chesterton's essays. And Lewis was not a, a, a practicing Christian at this time, but reading those essays when he was convalescing really uh, set the stage for a lot of things that were to follow, made a, a pretty important impression on him. But then later, after Lewis uh, was coming back to faith, uh, that slow process that by the time the 1930s came around, Lewis uh, had come fully back to Christian belief. Uh, Chesterton was there with him uh, on the journey of faith, as it were, and Chesterton's book, The Everlasting Man, was really crucial to that whole process. Uh, Lewis, in later life, had a habit of recommending that book, The Everlasting Man, by Chesterton, uh, in the way that pe uh, people recommend Mere Christianity by Lewis now, I and mean, yeah. he recommended it over and over again. That really says something. When it came to The Everlasting Man, there are a couple things we could say about its impact on Lewis. One of them was this. Lewis wrote, in reading Chesterton, as in reading George MacDonald, I didn't know what I was letting myself in for. A young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. There are traps everywhere, Bibles laid open, millions of surprises, as George Herbert says, fine nets and stratagems. God is, if I may say it, very unscrupulous. So with books like The Everlasting Man, we really see the the contemplative, uh, philosophical, if you will, side of Chesterton. And the fact that he could write a book like that and it had such a profound effect on Lewis, that alone makes it a book that we should seek out and read for ourselves. We'll continue learning about the life and writings of G.K. Chesterton today with Kevin Belmonte on First Person. 
This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC partners with First Person to bring these interviews to you each week because we never tire of hearing how God moves on the hearts of people to accomplish His purpose. Whether in the hard-to-reach places of the world or right here at home, we serve a living God who leads men and women to do great things for Him. Learn more about FEBC at firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the FEBC banner. Today on First Person, sitting in for G.K. Chesterton is Kevin Belmonte, the author of a literary biography of Chesterton titled Defiant Joy and the Quotable Chesterton. I highly recommend both books to you. And of course, if you Google uh, Kevin and Chesterton, you'll find much more information online as well. And we'll put some links at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Kevin, it's so delightful to talk to you. We had an earlier conversation about your biography of D.L. Moody, and as I said to you off the air, you keep writing these things, and we'll keep talking about them on radio. Is that a deal? It works for me. (laughs) I I think it's a great uh, conversation and something that's of of interest to me, and I hope to listeners as well. Uh, Tell me about Chesterton's personal life. I mean, he had this, this great persona and wit and depth. What were things like personally for him? Well, if he were here, I suspect the first thing that he would tell us is the love of his life was his dear wife, Frances. Uh, They weren't able to have children, um, but their marriage was really something special. Everyone who had a near view of it uh, really remarked on the depth of their love and how winsome it was. And uh, it was really sort of famous, you know, that their home was a place where hospitality was in abundance, and they were always having people over, people like George Bernard Shaw or H.G. Wells. And Bernard Shaw and the Chesterton had a great relationship, and he would write uh, letters to Francis and say, now, if your husband isn't going to finish this piece of writing, you know, I'm going to put you up to the task of bugging him about it and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, but, but wasn't Shaw an atheist? Well, he had a very different worldview than Chesterton, that's right. Yes, no, he had uh, no belief in God as we would know it, uh, and I think he would describe himself as an atheist. Uh, so would H.G. Wells. But the fact that both men had a real and genuine fondness for him really tells you something about the way faith uh, sort of expressed itself in Chesterton's life personally and in his, uh, in his friendships. Uh, I think probably the most telling thing about that, where Shaw was concerned, is when Chesterton passed away, uh, Shaw was uh, grief-stricken and uh, wrote round to his widow Francis and said, look, you know, if there's anything I can do, it's just a postcard, uh, you know, with a line about any unexpected expenses which are a burden, just let me know and I'll take care of it. And then he quote, uh, closed rather with a, a lovely allusion to the Pilgrim's Progress, and he said, the trumpets are sounding for him. Wow. Oh, What were the circumstances of his death? Well, Chesterton, uh, he, he may well have died as a younger man. In fact, he had a very serious uh, bout with great illness right around 1914-15, and his life was despaired of, but he recovered. I guess there are a few things you could look to. His father was said to have perhaps had heart trouble, and as we said a bit earlier, Chesterton was a large man, you know, ample girth, and you know, over six feet, but weighing probably a little in excess of 300 pounds to carry that much weight and then to, to work as hard as he did. Uh, he, he worked incredibly hard at his craft. Uh, he wasn't uh, overfond of exercise, we might say, and uh, he, he was only very young in his 60s when he passed away in 1936. So we lost him far too soon, but uh, his health just seemed to give way, not unlike uh, D.L. Moody, who died about the same age. You know, you're carrying around 
you know, a lot of extra weight and you're working hard and you've lived a life that's been very busy and very active professionally. And sometimes it just catches up with you. So, you know, for all those reasons, I think that sort of fed into Chesterton leaving us far too soon. Yeah. You know, uh, just to hear of his uh, friendship with people like uh, George Bernard Shaw and H.G. Wells, I'm again reminded of Moody and these great men of faith who weren't, uh, they were very winsome and weren't afraid to to talk to people and, and build relationships with people who, who believe differently than they believe. Oh, you couldn't be more right about that. Uh, I remember with H.G. Wells, I was so struck by the fact that when Wells' great book, The Outline of History, came out, there were many who attacked it, including Chesterton's great friend, Hilaire Belloc. Well, Chesterton took a different tack. Uh, he chose to engage H.G. Wells. They, they debated from time to time, but in a literary sense, uh, Chesterton undertook to write a reply, and we know that book is The Everlasting Man. But in the opening pages, he paid a tribute to Shaw's intellect and his gifts as a writer. He he uh, expressed himself in terms of warmth and friendship and said, look, I'm going to come down in a different place in writing my book, The Everlasting Man, and my view of history from the Christian standpoint. But I want to be the first to say that Mr. Wells is a person of great gifts as a writer and has a brilliant mind. Well, that kind of thing made for a lifelong friendship. And not too long before Chesterton passed, Wells sent a marvelous letter around Christmas time, and he said to Chesterton, if, after all, my atheology or atheist belief turns out to be wrong and your theology turns out to be right, I, I know I can get into heaven if I want to because I'm a friend of GKC's. <laughs> well, we won't debate all that, but it is interesting. I, I find it fascinating. Uh, Kevin, I don't want to ignore the fact that uh, I think one of the reasons why Chesterton has not been widely uh, uh, followed by evangelicals in particular is because he did become a Roman Catholic, didn't he? He did, and uh, I have an appreciation for some of the unique challenges that would have presented. Uh, there was a time in Chesterton's own lifetime when the divide between Protestant and Catholics was uh, was very pronounced, and there were some uh, who who perhaps... Uh, felt badly about that particular step, thought he could have stayed within the Church of England. But since both streams of belief flow into my own heritage of faith, I have a particular appreciation for the way that Chesterton can speak with with great power and insight and profit to people from all parts of the Christian landscape. And so you know, it was a rich journey for me. Uh, I can appreciate uh, all the things that were part and parcel of Chesterton's Christian faith commitment. And yes, uh, his journey took him to become a son of the Catholic Church, and he was a very devoted son. And among uh, our Catholic friends now, there's a move to have Chesterton receive special recognition within the Church. So I think that uh, some of us who, who hail and are, uh, find ourselves in the evangelical tradition have a lot to learn from him. Certainly people like C.S. Lewis did, mm-hmm. and I think that, that says a lot to us. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, his uh, perhaps best-known book is Orthodoxy. Uh, tell me about Orthodoxy. What's interesting, uh, the book was more or less written as a challenge. Uh, We said just a bit ago that in 1905, Chesterton wrote a book called Heretics. And that basically was a critique of prevailing worldviews. And he took a look at people like George Bernard Shaw and H.G. Wells and other prominent people who were outside the Christian faith tradition and offered a critique of their worldviews. And it was shaped by his wit and his insight, all sort of the, the trademarks, the hallmarks of the way Chesterton expressed himself. But someone wrote round and said, well, look, you've put the negative cases, it were, and heretics, how about 
putting the positive case with uh, a book that explains your own reasons for being a Christian. And it was that sort of a challenge. Uh, Chesterton said, I, I only needed the feeblest provocation to sit down and write another book. <laughs> so he was given that. Uh, but it turned out to be an, an incredible book. Uh, it was basically a spiritual autobiography, uh, his own journey to faith. Uh, it expressed itself with a great deal of originality. Uh, it was the kind of a book that has come to mean so much to people in our own time. And uh, Philip Yancey is probably the most prominent of writers uh, living and writing today who have a deep appreciation for orthodoxy, and he's written a marvelous introduction to that book by Chesterton, and you can get it uh, through most any bookstore or online outlet. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, Kevin, I know I have enjoyed learning more about G.K. Chesterton today, and I wonder if you have a final thought for us. I do, and it centers on something that I've come to call Chesterton's Parable. Uh, in our own time, it seems like people are rushing about in such a hurry and so overworked that we don't always contemplate what our destination is in life or how exactly we might get there. So in the book Heretics, Chesterton wrote what I call this parable. I'd like to share it if I could. Sure. I revert, said Chesterton, to the general hope of getting something done. Suppose that a great uh, commotion arises in the street about something, let us say a lamppost, which many influential persons desire to pull down. A gray-clad monk, who is the spirit of the Middle Ages, is approached upon the matter and begins to say, in the arid manner of the schoolmen, let us first of all consider, my brethren, the value of light, if light be in itself good. At this point he's somewhat excusably knocked down. All the people make a rush for the lamppost. The lamppost is down in ten minutes, and they go about congratulating each other on their unmedieval practicality. But as things go on, they do not work out quite so easily. Some people have pulled the lamppost down because they wanted the electric light. Some because they wanted old iron. Some because they wanted darkness because their deeds were evil. Some thought it not enough of a lamppost, some too much. Some acted because they wanted to smash municipal machinery. Some because they wanted to smash something. And there is war in the night, no man knowing whom he strikes. So gradually and inevitably, today, tomorrow, or the next day, there comes back the conviction that the monk was right after all, that all depends on what is the philosophy of light. Only what we might have discussed under the gas lamp, we must now discuss in the dark. And I think that parable is just so compelling. Chesterton said that it's really important for us as we journey through life to really give thought, take time and consider what the purpose of our life is. And faith for him was the great beacon. And faith for him illumined everything else. It's uh, like that wonderful quote that we associate with C.S. Lewis, you know, by the sun I see everything else. Faith is like that. And I just think of that with regard to Chesterton, and I think for those who take time to seek out his books, is a marvelous journey there, and it's a journey waiting to be taken. What a treat today to talk with Kevin Belmonte and learn about the life and writings of G.K. Chesterton. Kevin has answered some of the questions I had about this man, and I trust you learned something today as well. Let me mention again two of Kevin's many books, Defiant Joy, a biography of G.K., and The Quotable Chesterton. You'll find links to both books and more at firstpersoninterview.com. I hope you'll bookmark our website as a resource, firstpersoninterview.com. Also online, you'll see that we archive every program so you can listen again or pass the link along to someone else. Plus, there's a schedule of upcoming programs. 
And if you'd like to comment, that's what our Facebook page is for, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. First Person is produced with the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company. And now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.